Daily here with my wife Caroline. Hey guys! And we are here to talk about the eighth and final episode of the first season of Amazon's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. This Woo! What a ride, Paul! This eight episodes have been crazy. I've enjoyed every single one. Me too. What's this one called, Caroline? I think it's called Thank You and Good Night. Oh. I think it's like Thank You and Good Night. So it's signaling the conclusion. I would say so, definitely. So we get started right where we basically left off in episode seven, where we have had that disastrous scene on stage where Midge imploded, took Susie down with her. And this is the immediate aftermath. Yeah, they're both getting drunk. It, did look, it looked like a different bar than the gaslight, didn't I it? I kind of think it's the bar that Joel and Archie were hanging out at. Could be. Like that bar. That makes sense. Which is kind of creepy in its own weird way. But I, you know... I have to say that I'm a little confused by Susie's kind of cool nature about Midge and her antics because, I mean, she really killed Sophie in such a way that there's like no going back. You think Susie should have been angry? Do you think Susie should have been angry? I think she had every right to be angry since she, like you had said in the last podcast, uh, hitched her wagon to a volatile star. I would, I mean, I am surprised that, I mean, Susie acted as if something had happened that was outside of Midge's control. Like, oh my God, I can't believe that, you know, like your dress ripped off or, you know, that the the ceiling caved in or like something that was just like so act of God that there's nothing that, you know, Midge could have done about it. And that is like so not the freaking case. In fact, Susie, who had, who had, earlier this season had been uh, wanting to keep the relationship strictly professional and and didn't want to really get into the personal stuff. She she was commiserating in a much more, I don't know, friendly way. Yeah. And like her, like she wasn't in it, you know, like, like it was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that, you know, you lost your mind at work. It's like, Susie, it's like your whole life. You know, this was a little, a little surprising. This whole episode is full of like, it's, what kind of it moments? It is. And like, and like gut punches. Like you're like, oh my God, I thought we were going to be okay. And now we're totally not. Like, yeah. So they used a lot of salty language at this. They kept saying that they were so fucked. They were going to walk like cowboys. That was an amusing conversation. Charming, yeah, charming. Yeah. Very hoity-toity language. <laughs> I know that, that there was uh, the way that they described the night being like a- The next morning. When they catch up. Yes, finally, after... The, the phone call, you know, because they talked about bookings and all this kind of stuff. And, and Susie's like, well, I didn't know last night was seppuku night at the gaslight. <laughs> if you don't know, seppuku is Japanese ritual suicide. The, it's the kind where they take their own short sword or dagger, drag it into their guts and rip it upwards so that there's Holy just shit. no chance that they will could ever be pulled through. It's a way of maintaining their honor in the face of defeat. Good night. No way. I could never be a Japanese warrior. 
I would bring shame upon my family. (laughs) (laughs) I would do a terrible job. Well, and in addition to that, it turns out that not just Harry had seen this disastrous situation, but the newspaper guys were also there. And they totally... She invited the newspapers because she didn't know it's a puka night. Right, right. And so then it's like all over all the newspapers that this Amanda Gleason, like like her head on a platter with a fork in it. Yeah, well, she went after uh, an icon and she... She didn't uh, pay the pay the icon any any respect, and so rather than investigate whether or not these claims were true, they talk about slander and stuff like that. I thought that it was an interesting pause uh, that Susie took that when she said, "It reminds you the power of words to build up and destroy." What a like kind of a moment of clarity for Susie. I mean that that seems like something that you could you know read or watch about in a TED talk or something, you know. And here's Susie who you know doesn't really have a ton of introspection. Is like you know that reminds me how much words can really build up or destroy people you know you're like wow i mean i feel like they wanted to send that message through it didn't come off <laughs> like it was woven in very well it kind of stuck out to me they do not have time to have this mass over massive i said mass over that's like a hangover that's in massive. massachusetts <laughs> no it's like a massive hangover it's a mass over um so a massive hangover no time for this because it is ethan's birthday potter the big birthday party for Ethan and Estelle, Imogene's daughter, who she has high-minded plans of the two of them eventually (laughs) falling in love and marrying. So there were several like absurd to the point of like, you know, just like shaking your head scenes in this. The ventriloquist from that that dive bar with the dead dummy laying on his lap and he has like a, a new dummy and he's trying to do this like I mean, very borderline acceptable <laughs> act for the kids. I mean, it was that was really funny. Yeah, I mean the the whole the whole idea of he still has the one dummy on his on his leg, and then the Who's other like dummy dead, like laid right, there. And he says, "Well, you know, maybe you wouldn't maybe you wouldn't say these things about me if you didn't have the other guy there to compare me with all the time." <laughs> and so weird. I mean, I thought that it was funny, but it was like so absurd. And then, of course, you know, Joel is also at the party and they decide to have this divorce discussion on the carousel. And I think there's something about the imagery of being on these horses on a carousel and it should be like such a whimsical, you know, easy time. And instead they're drinking out of a flask, discussing the deets of their divorce. I mean, you could get the imagery and interpret that maybe as like, you know, metaphorical for spinning out of control. I like that. Life is passing Joel, especially by at this point, kind of like the blur that you see when you look out from a carousel. You For know? sure. And especially if you've been drinking, like I can't really imagine how I don't know, your stomach would really be in a, in, a, in a scene there. So one thing that I that I noted that I can't quite I'm not quite sure about. It seemed that Rose and Abe were not at the birthday party. That is pretty unconventional these days. But it did not seem like they were because they were out for like the evening, too, because Joel actually comes back and helps Midge put the kids to bed, which was actually pretty surprising to see Midge alone coming back to the apartment. Like she would have been doing that. Like, where's all the birthday presents and like all the crap? I don't like it seemed a little bit out of step for me to be like, how exactly did this work? Yeah, She says that they were at different things, too. Right? Yeah. One was at like a garden thing again at night overnight at a garden 
meeting or something like okay (laughs) and abe was at a work function okay i mean i get it if he had to miss but ethan's party was during the day so it it was a kind of a strange set of circumstances that landed joel and midge alone to put the kids to bed now what did you think about this sort of like glancing at one another sort of watching each other put the kids to bed kind of thing this is like lorelei marrying christopher just like completely Completely disappointing. Like, this is not the character that you wanted when you started watching the show. And now she's making these decisions that, you know, you can kind of understand on the one hand, but you hoped better for them. It's interesting because I tried to think about at no point in these scenes did she have some big moment where she sort of fell back in love with Joel. Watching him put the pajamas on the kiddo I understand that from like a father kid standpoint, you know, like looking at him like he's a good father or whatever, in theory, whatever, right? He's been drinking all day on a carousel. It's not really, (laughs) it's not really a great dad, but let's pretend that it is, okay? The whole time, like he kind of falls back in love with her, you know, like watching her and talking about all the, all the, you know, I fell in love with you the first time I saw you and he never took off his wedding ring. And he says a lot of the right things, you know, like he recognizes that she's drunk without talking because of the way that she's eating. She's eating mac and cheese. And just there's other little things like that that he just says that says to her, he he definitely hasn't forgotten anything about her. She's he's still like the person that knows her best in the world and all that okay. kind of stuff. I'll go with that. So you think that she's like just interested in falling back into old familiar patterns. Right. Like Dorothy with Stan. I feel that. I feel that. Well, speaking of old familiar patterns, I was <laughs> taken aback by this whole like, okay, so they decide they're going to go get freaky, right? And she reveals that she actually used to undo like every other hook on the bra. Now, okay, this is a complex bra, okay? Now, this is like, this is like for most women the in this day and age, maybe you would wear something like this for like your wedding, maybe maybe a very important dance or something like prom or something. I don't know. But a few people wear this get up day to day, you know, at first when she says like every other bra hook, you're kind of like, wait, what? Like, I mean, most bras have like two, How many maybe hooks three. Are there? Yeah. Like it sounds so goofy. And what kind of nimble fingers would you <laughs> need for this? Every other action. I don't even, I can't even imagine that. That was like very nimble. I, what did you think? What did this say about their relationship? Well, go ahead, because I've got my own. I got my own theory on this. On the one hand, it said there was a lot of smoke and mirrors before, mm-hmm. which she and he addressed through little comments here and there for the rest of their tryst. And it kind of also says if we are moving forward, there's not going to be any smoke and mirrors anymore. You know, you're seeing me for what it looks like. I'm giving you the full bra. I'm not doing my makeup again in the morning, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you say that, but the way that I took that conversation, she was apologetic about not having a moment to go do that bra thing. She wasn't saying, if we're going to keep doing this, I'm not going to undo my bra anymore. She was like, she was like trying to say, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't know this was going to happen. So I didn't have a chance to go and do my bra hooks. And so I don't think she would have thought she needed to stop that. It was his response of being like, well, what did you think was going to happen? Like I was going to lose interest. I was going to go make myself a sandwich, other kind of stuff like, but it made me feel like how many people babied slash like set up 
Joel's life in like a strange way. Like she went out of her way to make him feel successful about taking her bra off. Like how <laughs> little does she have to think of his capabilities that she thinks she's not unlike her making brisket in the very first episode. She always has to like grease the wheels for him in a way that feels like an inequity in the relationship that I don't really know how they could possibly be successful, you know? How I guess I interpreted it was, I see what you're saying, and that's probably true, but also consider that it didn't occur to her to do it. I mean, she could have, I mean, there wasn't, there was time. She could have said, excuse me. That's what women do in these situations. They say, excuse me. And then they go do whatever they're going to do. And then they come back, oh you God. know, excuse me. It happens. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so, but it didn't, it, it was only once it was like past the excuse me point that she had to come clean with, or she felt like she needed to come clean. So that's why I felt like she'd lost her instinct and her taste for, for even doing that kind of thing anymore. And, and definitely, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and the hiding of things, like how they like discussed how she had all those marks on her skin from, you know, the underwire girdles and, and, and all that. I used to powder it. Yeah, can you think of that? That she like, what work she went through, you know, just so that he wouldn't see that? Oh my goodness, that's, wow. He is a high maintenance relationship, you know? He is. It's a, it's a lot. Which is funny that you say that because that's what he tells her. You're a lot. What did you think about that? Because I I was hurt for her. Well, that's probably because people told you you're a lot. I am a lot. <laughs> well, what well, do you mean by it when because you, you've said it? <laughs> uh, it's that when you are near or far no not far so much mostly <laughs> near or just somehow you know related to the, either the conversation or the situation or whatever's at hand you have a very dominating presence in what is being talked about the attitude and kind of direction of that event or discussion or whatever it is you know like it's not that you're there to tell everybody what to say but i mean you're the one that does seem to recognize like nobody's saying anything. So <laughs> I'm going to say stuff or whatever, you know, being attached and not having those same instincts or drive or anything like that. It is comparatively for someone like me a lot. And I can understand Joel, but his explanation was totally different. And than, way than better. Mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's like, you're pretty and smart and funny. And you're like, you talk. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's just an example. That's just one example. You say so many words. Your words are many. Let's talk about the, the concept of any person being like a lot, right? Like, what does this mean? He, Joel tells her that, you know, girls can either be pretty or smart or funny. But if you're more than one thing, then you're like a handful. You're like so much going on. I can say that I've been told I'm a handful. So what do you think makes somebody a lot? Even if it's not me in particular, but anybody, what, what makes somebody a lot? Activity, I think, for me, would make someone a lot. Just the amount of it that they need to be a part of and influence and talk about and decide about and all this kind of stuff. Like the more of it that's going on, the, the fuller that that person probably feels if you're not on that same wavelength, then it's a lot for you to be involved with all those different things. 
I like that. I think I think I'd like a, a little small offshoot from that. I would say the the amount of energy somebody has. That's how I feel when I'm around somebody. And with Midge, I mean, certainly she talks fast. She's thinking fast. She's. I, I don't really look at it like about the fact that she's attractive. I guess maybe that's just like the part that's like, I don't I don't know. I don't know why that would be like one more thing to handle is that you're pretty. I don't know. Is that just like her, the response he has to her? I don't, I like, I don't, I don't. Yeah. That's a well, tough one to, to lump in as a possible. I mean, he's, 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 he's borderline calling these things negative in a way, you know what I mean? So kind of, or so the looks part is in this part is kind of transparent to him. So I don't know what he's bitching about, but I would just say like the upkeep part or, or the whatever you, you okay. that you might consider, needing to be the high maintenance end of of being attractive or maybe it's unwanted attention or okay or whatever else goes along with you know maybe feeling like he has to woo her like that much more because she is like in, a catch right 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 yeah that that other other people would be constantly after her so okay so midge is considered a lot i felt like that she was kind of taken aback and kind of hurt by his comment yeah you don't exactly when you're called a handful you're not exactly like damn skippy you're like what I do you mean laugh. a handful i can laugh about I'm, it now i'm just a i'm just a person doing I what i do laugh about it now because i've heard it so many times that i can laugh about it now and be like yeah i know and i try to dial it back it's, but his description i mean you're right i mean it could see how it'd be very hurtful because it's not even like it's like she's just trying to be her best person you know and it's like god i mean it's like how everybody sees things but you know, I think she's probably hoping for more since they were in a relationship is that it's completely like one sided and doesn't really look at how she would value any of those kinds of things like for her own self. Like like maybe she does value all of those things and thinks those are great things, you know, yeah. and he's saying all those things that you think are great. And put I a think lot, are, I think are a lot and put a, puts a lot of time and effort into like when I think about the fact that like she's attractive looking like, yeah, she goes to exercise class. She worries about her hair and her makeup. And I mean, you know, she does all this maintenance on herself and then, you know, being funny and smart and all those things. It's sort of like, ay, 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 you know, I, where, where would you want her to dial it back? Like. It would be better if she would gain 50 pounds or <laughs> right. what? Stops moisturizing. Or or like what? Just like didn't respond with an intelligent response. Like what exactly would be better? I don't know. It's a little confusing and a little hard to know how that exactly leads to them actually sleeping together. <laughs> because I think that would be a little like a like a little bit of a killer for the mood for me fortunately they already have by this moment that the bra thing leads oh, right yeah, into right. conqueror that's right and then after <laughs> this is the pillow talk later i see i see you're totally right and also i totally miss this little nugget so he they're in her bedroom where she had been listening to those party records he sees the party record and and she actually tells exactly where it came from that never ever clicked the first time we saw this this episode has a few uh moments that just leap ahead in terms of like the story this is goes back to my comment last episode podcast episode where i said i think they had enough story for like four episodes but they crammed it into 10 especially at the end of this one if you think about it uh, so much is going on it's like so busy but this one they made work 
Yeah, beautifully. And they set it up a while ago. So beautifully. It's, it's yeah, great. you're right. You're right. I mean, this, there's so much payoff in this final episode. You know, sometimes you, they put down those breadcrumbs and you like never get to the actual destination. Yes. This one is like, wow, it's more than I even expected. We have the fact that, of course, not unlike Gilmore Girls, what happens, Paul? It snows. No. They fell asleep. Oh, they fell asleep. They fell asleep in the hijinks in the morning, right? Everyone has to scatter and run around. Ah, I fell asleep. All that part happens. That happens multiple times with Rory specifically, the fall asleep. Oh, yeah. Dean. Dean twice. Dean on records in Miss Patty's and... And she didn't sleep with him then, but she did sleep with him in the house and then scatter, scatter when Lorelai shows up. Same, same. And that's the scene with um, the, the. did you always look like this in the morning? Yeah. What right. do you think about that? When she, I didn't recognize it when he said it. Like, I didn't recognize the fact that she hadn't gone and fixed up her face and stuff. But what did you think? Like, is that all over? Is the powdering the lines, the... Unhooking the bra, the like fixing her lipstick and her face and waking up early. Is all that over? Like if they do get back together, is it just done? I think so. I hope it is. Do you hope it is? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, there's a certain amount that you need to, <laughs> need to expect to have to do in a relationship, but that was like way more, right? It's, it's that appearance versus reality. That was like, it's like that their relationship was so based on appearances from the powdering to the, you know, waking up early and all the things like, and and now that you get to see the real her, it's like, do you like the real her lines and messy hair and not done up face and all, you know? Do ridiculous you actually, robe. Ridiculous. That was funny. What was so ridiculous about know. that robe? I have no idea. I was like, I think it's a cute robe. What the hell? Why is, and why is everyone so like annoyed or weirded out by it? I have no idea. I don't know either. So this is next morning and she comes down and she's like, or she comes out to the kitchen. She's Overly gregarious. She catches the eye of Zelda. <laughs> Wasn't Rory's room off the kitchen too? It totally was, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yes. yeah. That whole discussion about her appearance in the morning by Rose. Oh my God. And her being like, doesn't coffee smell so perfect this morning? Like she was so over the top. So over the top. I really appreciated Zelda's like, the coffee does smell good this morning. Like giving her the... <laughs> Zelda. <laughs> oh, I had another Gilmore Girls flash that I had to hit on this, and it and it happens when they're talking about sharing, both sharing like their childhood bedrooms, you know. And um, she says that that you know she's, I don't know, saving up her money for roller skates, and he says he has roller skates. You know, this is during on reconciliation time. This totally was a flashback to Lorelai and Luke having a reconciliation, and she sits on his lap and says, "Oh, Santa, I want a." Uh, pony and I want to whatever and she like goes down this list of stuff and it sounds so very familiar yeah I, I, I semi remember that scene this morning scene gives us kind of the temperature of the room <laughs> right oh wow with, yeah with, with Rose and Abe and how disconnected they've been since the scene at Temple last Saturday and the the realization that that Abe knew you know, when he finally comes to her and says, I, I knew, you know, after the divorce lawyer, I knew that um, that Joel had come and had and they tried to, you know, he tried to get back here and Midge said no. Um, it was that it was that whole realization that Rose has been in the dark. It's it's interesting. You know, the way that we write down our notes, you can kind of see sometimes 
sometimes you lose track of what happens when, but other times you can see with when, because we write it by character, you can see how things line up. And so with, with regard to just the single character, right? Right. And so we know that he should know that Rose is pissed at him for keeping stuff from her. Oh, so pissed. Yes. Yet the conversation in his new study ends with him saying, don't tell your mother unless you're really sure, you know? Interesting. Well, and on that front, though, I think it's because, although I, I agree with you that it's important that they don't that they don't keep stuff from Rose. Obviously, he's right, like you said, getting punished. The punishment was severe, right? <laughs> Very. Severe. What did you think about that? I mean, you have an office. How would you like it if I like moved the dining table in here and threw all your stuff out into the into the eating area? I'd like to see you try. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Well, you wouldn't be here, honey. I would have to do it when you were at work. A big deer. I guess that's how that works. I couldn't actually see you try. <laughs> that's exactly. You couldn't because I wouldn't do it when you're here. I'm not foolish. This conversation when Midge comes to Abe and is trying to say, okay, I think that we are going to get back together. And <laughs> he's like climbing the stacks of books to kind of lunge at her. I mean, I the part that really stuck out to me was his words when he says... Well, he's very hard on her with the wreak no, havoc goes, stuff. Yeah, he said, you've laid waste to everyone and everything. <gasps> oh, my God. I mean, that's insanity. I mean, really insanity. And, I mean, if you think about it, though, totally ruined Susie's whole world, ruined her own stuff, ruined... Sophie Lennon's. I mean, if, if she is like an American icon, I mean, my God, her parents probably know somebody outed Sophie Lennon, right? Right. I mean, it would have been in the newspaper. It's like, oh my God. And like, she she has. I mean, he's being truthful in like how awful it's been. Don't you think it's probably right that he says, don't tell Rose unless you are so, I mean, you better have that ring glued on your finger and and this is real uh, i do think it's i do think it's right just from a protective kind of standpoint but she, she uh, in this situation i mean she's already voiced the idea that she's hurt the, about being kept in the dark yeah you're right so i mean maybe it's just being too like thinking too little of Rose, like that she's not capable of understanding, you know, the the craziness of this situation when she certainly is. I mean, she's a smart woman, you know, I mean, I well, get she just the never idea gave that- up on on Joel coming back into the picture. And, and he already has. And, you know, the, as, as, a, as a keeper of the peace myself, mm. peace is sort of something that that flows and has a momentum to it, right? It can stop dead. That's for sure. But, you know, once you're working on a solution, you keep working it until you get back to peace, right? Right. And if when if someone says, well, we could get possibly back to peace going this other way, you're like, no, we're, we're, we're following the plan. <laughs> the plan is a good plan. Yeah, that is very true. That is very, that is very dad-like. I, I thought that the whole part where he was like, you know, if he loves you and you can forgive him. You know, I don't know. All That's the, what he says. All, I don't know. Right. Then, you know, more power to you kind of thing. But and he explains, like, don't tell your mother, because if you go off and tell your mom, basically, and this falls apart and he goes, if I come home and she's moved me into the kid's room, 
I will kill you. He's like, I, I will feel bad about it, but it will happen. And it, he was so matter of fact about it that I was like, oh. I mean, uh, it, it was good. That was a good, good, good scene. One of my very favorite Abe lines. I will kill you. I wouldn't want to do it, but it will happen. It was so good. It was so well delivered. It was so, so good. Last time we see Rose this whole, whole uh, season is the final time that that uh, she catches Midge going through her closet. Yeah. And she wants to, I mean, her ploy is that she's inviting her to the beauty parlor, right? For yeah, I think, yeah. girl's day kind of thing. Right, it is like, let's have a reconnection kind of day. But this is a moment when Midge, I think, I think probably should have said what's up with why she needs the dresses. I don't think she, I mean, this was the big moment though, where she had to, this was like, she didn't let her mom get in her head, you know, this time, like she didn't get into it with her mom. She just was like, like, I'm not going to tell you where I'm going. And basically like, and I'm borrowing the stress and, and Rose let it go and was just like, you know, pearls would look good with that. That's it. And it's like, I think that it had to happen that way. If they had gotten into a discussion back and forth about where she was going and whether it was a valid choice and this was a legitimate path and blah, blah. I mean, can you imagine how, how, how would this evening have ended up? You know, could, right. could, could Midge actually stand on that stage and say anything? I mean, like, there's just no way. R okay. No That makes way. sense. So she, she was... had to just maintain at that point. Okay. So that was the last time we saw Rose. However, there was a little bit more to her work world that was going on there that was worth discussing. However, before we move over to Midge, because she's going to have a whole bunch of stuff, let's talk about the aftermath of that morning and what happened with Joel heading on over to his work. Oh, Senior Afterglow, you mean? Yes. Oh, yeah. He's riding high. He feels like he can put his life back together just the way it was, even better now that he's working on this merger or acquisition or whatever it is of this of this plastic chemical supply company. And that meeting looked a lot like a Don Draper meeting, right? Oh my God, exactly like Don Draper. Yeah. Like down to when he's like, charts, graphs, like that whole part. And the boys are cheering him on and all that. Oh yeah, mm. even Mrs. Moskowitz saying like, don't don't let him wear the gray suit. It makes him look tubby. That's exactly something Joan would have like entered into the situation. Right, right. What was his name? It would have been um, Glasses Guy. I know exactly who you mean. Harry. Harry. Yeah, yeah. he would have been like, don't let Harry wear the gray suit. Makes him look tubby. Right. And Harry had been like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's feeling so much of his wild oats that he decides that apparently he's going to give it another go at comedy. He's feeling funny again. Which is just so weird, right? He's going to sit and like, re like write comedy again on the steps and like... I, I don't know. He's so weird. And even it's not even original work. He's like yelling out to people on the street to help him finish his punchlines and stuff, you know? He's writing lunch meat jokes. Lunch meat jokes, y'all. I mean, aside from chicken lunch meat, there are really chicken no- Chicken lunch meat is freaking There are no funnier hysterical. lunch meats than chicken lunch meats, but that's that's the end of lunch meat humor, really. What's the, what's the backstory on chicken lunch meat? It's that you believe it doesn't exist. <laughs> Does it, y'all? 
Does chicken lunch meat exist? I don't know. It's an argument we had one day back when we were about, what, 20? Ever since then, we're like, why don't you go eat some chicken lunch meat? <laughs> it's like, it's so disgusting sounding. Even if it does exist, it just sounds awful. Awful. It's an abomination to lunch meats. What happened to the chicken, Paul? How did he become lunch meat? Why isn't he just pieces of chicken? Just very upsetting, the whole thing. <laughs> Uh, well, so old Joel also heads on over and tries to get a slot at the gaslight. This is like, so my head was like swirling. It was like we were back to episode one. He's got his, his comedy sweater. It's the black oh God, crew neck I know, thing. Right? Yes. But now it's got holes in it and stuff, right? So it's not, it's, it's as tattered as, as he is. He doesn't get a slot. And this is when he runs into Susie. This is when they kind of cross wires and she doesn't really recognize him, but but since he's bragging to his friend on the way out, then he's like, oh, shit. Well, and he, I mean, no, I mean, I think it's the brisket. It's not, it's not that, uh, yes, he doesn't, she doesn't remember Joel, but she remembers when he says, my wife would bring you the brisket. You think that was the connection? Yes. She knows that it's Miriam who brought the brisket. We get this move from the gaslight over to where that party album came from. The music in. Oh my God. And then. They are going to head downstairs to like where like the cool party albums are and the people upstairs start playing Mrs. X at the Gaslight. Did your heart like stop when you saw Joel walking back up the stairs? Only only in the um, anticipation that he might do something dangerous or stupid, you know, like and and that that would be detrimental to Midge. There aren't really like violence and things in Amy Sherman Palladino shows. So that would be pretty not in character for the, for her kind of show, but still, you know, could just cause some kind of drama. Gosh, I don't even know. I mean, wow. I went like a whole different direction. I mean, they just were deciding to get back together and now he's realizing that she was out I don't want them together. Like, I know, but, but, okay. So maybe so, it didn't make your heart drop, but, it, but just from Midge's standpoint of like, okay, whether or not you wanted them to get together, Midge at this point wants to be back with Joel. I mean, that's what they're saying. Like at this point, she's talking about. Midge doesn't know what she wants. <laughs> okay. But my heart dropped because no matter what, if they're going to bust, let them bust, but not because it, it's, it's like being heard, uh, talking behind someone's back. Like, and it's like that, oh my God. I mean, it's just that awful feeling where like, you know, where like Rose is like, is Dorothy right behind me? You know, and, and like, <laughs> it, it's like that move where you're just so like, oh my God, you can see the person walking up behind the other one. And she has no idea, you know, that he knows that she's been saying this stuff. It's just, it, give, it, it started this ball rolling for me of like anxiety that this was just... Midge was so outside of the loop of information and he was like collecting information, you know, which just freaked me out. He is so shaken though, Paul, come on. He's thrown way off his game and, and now apparently um, is deciding against following through with his big plans. He's, he's going to quit and he's going to set himself up. So he can't do what he said. He can't follow through. Mm. I mean, I guess he mentioned to Abe that plan B was going to work at his dad's place for the same salary. Right. But who even knows if that's still on the table? Or if that was even true. Right. I feel like question mark, question mark. 
So I don't him quitting during that presentation again, like you said. I mean, it it was like nail in the coffin of like so their life is not going to remotely get back on track. Which again, I know you're like fine with, but was still like shocking to to watch it unravel so quickly. I mean, it's interesting because like a text message or an email or a voicemail in this day and age would be the equivalent of that recording. Someone seeing you having said this. You know, or maybe a Facebook post or something like that, you know, or a Twitter yeah. account situation. But for this, for them to find such an intriguing way to have that very, pr- like, uh, present day problem of people talking behind other people's back and it being recorded, having that actually be the undoing was like kind of a fascinating way to do that. Oh, yeah. And it works, but I like it. I just, uh, I, um, I just didn't want anything to blow back on Midge on this. It's all going to blow back on Midge, honey. (laughs) There's no chance it's not going to, right? I mean, there's no chance this is going to come back and haunt her. Absolutely. Why episode one, season two, the blowback. (laughs) It's going to be B-A-D, Paul. Well, let's talk about old, poor, out of the loop, Midge over at work having her totally lovely evening. It's snowing. She's finishing work, coming out of B. Altman with her gal pals. And we get that very Gilmore Girl-esque, I love snow. Snow is such a, a lucky time and such good things happen. And we get the reveal that the exact wedding that Emily Gilmore says that she would have for Lorelai, this Russian winter theme wedding with these trees and this white, is exactly the wedding that apparently Joel and Miriam had, which we only saw the reception. We didn't see the actual wedding portion. Right. I mean, that's like, there's no like, huh, that's, I mean, that is like verbatim the wedding that Emily describes. So that was like wild. Between that and the snow comment was like, whoa. Yeah, that one, that part did. Uh, I, I, I mean, I don't watch Gilmore Girls as close as you, but I recognize the snow thing. <laughs> well, you, you just gave me like a keychain that said, "Smells like snow." Yeah, see, that's how much I know. I'm out. I buy keychains, so. Um, <laughs> I buy keychains. <laughs> does the scene where Penny Pan just storms in and confronts Mitch? Does that have any Gilmore resonance? I mean. I seem to remember there's got to be a, maybe it was at Chilton or something where someone came in and, and confronted Rory rather than the the parallel being with, with Lorelai. But I don't know, something seems familiar about just a woman coming in and yelling bad things about our, the star of our show. Uh, it's a, but it's kind of reversed. All Yes, it is. It is actually when Rory sleeps with Dean after he's already married. Right. And the wife... Yes. And it's the wife and her mom, and they confront Rory and Lorelai, like in the town center uh, square, and is like, um, I think she might say, you whore, or you, she might use the word tramp. I think she says whore, which is pretty awful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So this, this scene, what did you think about this concept of like, did Penny have any freaking like to stand on? No. I mean, the man never took off his wedding ring. I mean, I can't his his own morals and ethics. I can't really like defend or anything. But technically, they were still married, 
and she was the mistress. So you don't like flip. Yeah, how do you from yell at mistress the wife? to like the legit relationship until like divorces are final and stuff like that? And and in that original family's eyes, you're still the outsider that came in and screwed things up. And Penny and Joel are not living together. Joel is back at his parents. How they all dispose of apartments so easily, I do not know. Different time, I guess. I don't know. Month to month, I don't maybe know. This That's is, a thing. Maybe this is when landlords were like, you know what? Fuck it. We're, we're, we're setting these things up for a year. Okay, you can't. After this can't, mess. Right. <laughs> right. You can't come and go depending on who you're dating. Right. <laughs> I love it. Well, I I was shocked when Penny came in and did this you tramp business. I mean, holy smokes. What nerve, you know? I just, I, I can't imagine. And then to see that it's like going to blow back on Midge and be like, bring your handbook. Right. I have, we're going to have to have a talking to with the headmistress there. I stand by my earlier prediction that that penny pan is going to come back into this somehow and midge is actually going to help her out and and i don't know what it could be i like that prediction i it feels like it could be a real like moment you know for for the midge character and i think like i said like it's it's at this point it's it's cast penny as a woman against midge and there hasn't really been i mean now i guess we have this the sophie lennon character so maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe I had to draw withdrawal and say maybe not. I don't know because I would have said before the women were sort of like banding together, you know. But Midge totally outed Sophie, so maybe not so much. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then the weird thing was like after that whole penny pan thing happened, she goes back. She puts her wedding ring back on, and I was shocked that she brought back out her measurements book. You should have gotten the message, viewer, that she hadn't done that in a while since the last I time we saw her do so. it, probably, right. which might be three months. Yeah, three months is is a long time. A tough life to take a, a toll on on your body. Okay, you but, but her body didn't change. And no. I thought that was odd. I mean, wouldn't it have made like story sense for her to have either gained or lost in some other way even it didn't even have to be like a negative like maybe around like maybe her butt was like a little bit bigger which wouldn't be a negative around here um or like maybe her waist was a little smaller or something like something that would have indicated an internal change with an external measurement but it didn't she maintained i was kind of weirded about that i don't know do you think that they should have used that as the little as a little story cue Mm. Or is that tune on the nose or what? Probably. I mean, she's there's there are elements that they want to make real and there's elements that I think they're trying to make more idealized. Okay. I like that. You know? And okay. I think just attention to to looks and weight and all that kind of stuff is is gonna come more automatically for her rather than be this big story point. Okay. All right. I'll go with that. Okay. So moving on from her B. Altman gig and, and how she's feeling about Joel, she does have this, this as they call, shit gig over at the burlesque show to follow up on um, what was still laid out before this whole blow up had happened. 
Yeah, they're backstage, and this is probably one of the more R-rated moments of the of the whole season, right? For With sure. The women walking around largely topless. I understand that pasties and tassels and all that kind of stuff exist, but you know, you're still getting ninety nine percent of the boob. Right? <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Always confusing to me that it's just the areola we can't look like at. Like that's the offensive portion. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's always weird, right? Always weird. The nip is the only thing. That's the part we can't see. Come on. Morals. Where do they come from? Who said so? It makes no sense to me. I don't get it. But they have a little girl talk in there. Yeah. And so I this the conversation where she tells Susie, okay, you know, it looks like I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but I do have to tell you, it looks like Joel and I are going to get back together. And then Susie's like response of like, who's Joel? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> That was so good. It was so good. You know, like it was like, yes, Susie. It's like, maybe you don't remember who I am. I'm Susie. I haven't really checked into your life all that much. I don't care. Like, I don't care. It's it's so spelled out. There are lots of things going on in Susie's mind once she kind of puts it all together, right? I think so. Like there's... The this person who could be my friend stands to be in a very vulnerable place with this guy that's already betrayed her. Right. There's that. And he's like, he's been such an asshole, you know. And then there's the um, if you go back to being the housewife, then I might lose my one client. I think like 90 percent you're going to lose your client. Right. Right. Okay. Then I love the little follow up to that when the the stripper behind her is like standing there and is like, I don't understand. What's the problem? You're sleeping with your husband. And she's like, oh no, it's that we've been separated. And, you know, and I slept with him and the stripper's like, well, your boyfriend's taking it very well. <laughs> Meaning Susie. Oh my God. Oh, this writing is so, so good. Susie's face when she walks back in after having talked to the club manager. Oh my God. Such a kick in yeah. the gut. Yeah, she looks like she's gonna ball her eyes out. Yeah, she's she knows the the blackballing is real, and it's like to like the gutter, like you're blackballed from the gutter. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. So she comes up with this entire plan that is going to congeal as our big season finale ending here. She just. She herself has been demoted, as we noted before, and is now just working the door. And so she is just feeling like, I mean, she's got nothing here. Nothing. She's in desperation mode. So she does an unthinkable thing. She goes and asks for a favor from the one guy who can help them all out. Believe it or not, in this three-month span, Lenny Bruce has gone from, well, I guess maybe the time that they saw Lenny Bruce perform, wouldn't it be that she was there on a date with him? So it might've been some span of time more than the three months. So, but in the time that we've seen the show, he is, he has risen, maybe not to Sophie Lennon status, but you know, he's huge. He's on the tonight show at this, this point. Right. You know? Right. So the favor is not for me. But it's for Midge. Well, if it's for Midge. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and they had had such a really, like we said, the breadcrumbs that had been set up from the beginning, you know, that 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 so many little moments between Lenny and Midge that allowed this to happen, you know, that, you know, not only just the bailing out of 
jail, but there there are moments, you know, getting high in the alley together and, you know, just their easy rapport with one another made this like, yay. I didn't see it coming. I didn't see Lenny Bruce being the hero of the day. In fact, I was so caught up in all this Joel and Midge and all this crap that I kind of forgot about Lenny. You know, like he just dropped off at one point right. in the episodes. And I guess I didn't wonder where he was. Right. You just assumed that he was you I know, didn't think anything. doing his thing. Didn't think anything. I, I, I didn't. So when so when she goes to ask him for help, I was like, oh, my God, yes, this is perfection. So the big plan is that Lenny is going to come and draw a gigantic crowd at the gaslight. And even though all this, you know, the she's not the booker or anything, she's going to basically have once Lenny's on stage, he kind of controls the stage. So whoever he brings up, nobody's going to shut it down, you know? Right. And so she's like protected. Everyone's protected by Lenny's presence. What a fascinating plan. Do you think this was like awesome? Brilliant? Super brilliant. I mean, this, and it was, it was an all or nothing play. We don't even actually know the outcome. We know that. Not at this point. That she had a great set. We know that Lenny probably went on to have a great set, that the Gaslight made a lot of money that night. But we don't actually know what happens after that just yet. We just know those things. It was so wild. So watching Midge actually go up on stage, called up there by Lenny, and she's wearing that beautiful dress. I mean, I know you're a guy, but what do you think of this party outfit? Well, she was always put together. On stage, except for the first night when she was in her nightgown. Right. But she was always, you know, she looked a lot. A lot of people have commented on the quality of the costuming in in this. Oh, yeah. And some of that best stuff was probably showcased when she was on stage, when she was very put together in suits or whatever. And but this is like you said, a party dress that is like kind of that Hepburn-y sort of. Yes timeless she could wear that now yes kind of dress um super chic well like not housewife but like star you know mm -hmm. like she just looks so good i mean Susie was like taken aback you know she was like this is your look she looked beautiful she got up there and she just went to town about penny pan coming to b altman and you know what are the fucking rules not the fucking rules but the fucking rules the whole thing so funny so like right on but the scariest freaking thing was going on during her stage what, how do I say? During her set. Yeah. In the back, on opposing pillars, we have Susie watching with like- Smiling. Yeah. She's appreciating what's happening. It, it, this might just work kind of feelings, you mm -hmm. know? And on the other pillar, we have Joel, who Lurking. is- Absorbing that all of this is- you know, he he heard a snippet of Mrs. X the gaslight, so he knows that his his life and his decisions and his pain or whatever are on display for all of these people to hear, and it's continuing. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a one shot thing. I even think the idea that Penny Pan showed up at B. Aldman and screamed "Tramp" at her, even that alone, he was hearing for the first time. Like, mm. did my mistress go scream at my wife? at work, you know, like even that he was hearing. And then now he also has to have this whole room of full of people laughing while he's hearing this. Oh my God. I did not know what he was going to do. Some part of me thought he was going to be like, Miriam, you know, mm. and just like the room was going to like 
jerk head. And it could have ended like that. Instead, he tries to intimidate Susie. Susie ain't having it. Basically accusing her of egging Midge on. Which is so ridiculous. That's what makes me feel like, how little do you know Midge, you know? Yeah. And how little do you think of her? You know, and that whole sense of like, it's not, it doesn't require somebody to egg her on, you know? Like, this is like uh, like a really sick series of like projecting, right? you know, like what he is trying to make have happen so that he can like save face. Like if it, if he has to say, no, my wife on her own accord showed up and did this, then it's humiliating. But if someone coerced her and manipulated her on her pretty little head, then I guess we can get out of here with like just being victims of this senseless crime of Susie's, right? Yeah. But- I did not see this whole ending coming where there starts to be a heckler in the crowd screaming at Midge, which was which was surprising. But at the same time, she handled it super well. Yeah, I thought he goes, dumb bitch. And he goes, who told? <laughs> That's super funny. Yes. Super funny. But uh, the heckler heads out and Joel like tr- just comes right behind him. This was very unexpected. And the motivation is is tough because what he says is she's good. After he beats up the guy, he goes, she was good. Five seconds ago, he was complaining about the set. So now all of a sudden he thinks it's great. But back, you know, five minutes ago, he was like, but she's making fun of me. So somehow he, he came to terms with that. It was so weird. And decided it was to like defend her honor, even Sheckle though she'd never Hyde. know. Um, and he beat the shit out of that man. Like, that was one of those fist fights that was too real for me. Like, that was like, that was a lot of smacking. I mean, the guy in the background was like, you're going to kill him. He's been, he quit his job. He He's pretty much going to give up on Midge at this point. And he's going to beat up a guy in the street, which will, you know, potentially send you to jail. Well, and if you remember, remember back at the episode where Noah is talking to Midge on the fire escape and he describes like a punch with with Joel and that he was like so rock solid and he was like, next time pick a guy that I can beat up because I'd like to defend your honor. So they had set it up way back then that Joel can throw a punch and can like, is like a fighter. It does have this weird kind of temper that could do such a thing. And it was like, Oh my God. I, after the guys pulled him off once and he went back and started smacking the guy's face around again. I really did worry that this man was going to be beat to a pulp. When we we got we got to see him mostly naked, and um, that's true. We did in those ridiculously tailored it's, underwear. It's funny you can't really prevent this. I don't think, but a guy in that day and age would have been considered like a Jack Lalane, you know, peak physical specimen, and not be nearly as defined as Joel. You know what I mean? Okay. If you think about. Think about like Captain Kirk. That was in the 60s. He was considered like like a great looking guy. He would have his shirt off all the time. He didn't have any definition or anything like that. He just wasn't fat, but he just he didn't have like cut out abs and he probably didn't have cut abs, that's sure. Joel did. And and so I mean he would have been like freakishly in fit. Or sorry, yeah, freakishly but, in shape. But when I think about like Don Draper and stuff, like mm, Remember doing all the push-ups and stuff and he fakes swimming those, those and push-ups. What do you mean he faked them? 
when they he would he would he would say like 98 99 when, when Betty would come in the room and be <laughs> Had he had a good physique, and he like, but he remember, was not defined. Remember, he would swim at the Y and stuff. Yes, he is not defined. I guess, yeah, I guess I can see what you're saying. That like there was there's a difference between like even the women of the day too, like those little bird arms and all that kind of stuff, versus having like a defined physique. You know, for mm-hmm. a woman is like same deal. Like you're just supposed to be like extremely, I don't know, molded, but not like lean and molded, but not. Um, not more than that. You're right. Mm-hmm. So, but there's something about Joel that is a lot more like a friggin' junkyard dog. Yeah. Whatever his motivation truly was, uh, you know, he it leaves was, us. What is it? Why does ISIS be able to be able to recruit men? What do they tell them? I don't know. They're humiliated. And oh. you know who humiliates them? Women. He has been humiliated by a woman. And so this is like, this is it. This is the pinnacle. This is how ISIS actually recruits guys off the internet. If you have been, your manhood has been taken from you. <gasps> so you beat someone up to get it back. I guess so. And he goes stumbling off into the dark. I swear to God, he is like Jekyll and Hyde. It made me feel like, I don't even know, like some sort of like werewolf man, like stumbling into the fog, you know, into the mist. Well, now that he's jobless, I mean, he is better off just being... Off the books, you know, as far as Midge is concerned. I know he probably can't be for story-wise and all that kind of stuff like that. But, I mean, uh, he's he's going to – he'd qualify as a deadbeat these days, right? I, I think he'd be qualified as a deadbeat then. I mean, he has to, like, be dead at war or something, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, she's got to come up with some reason why he just wandered in the night. I don't know. So it ends with her – with Midge putting her arms up and saying, thank you and good night. I'm, I'm Mrs. Maisel. Thank you and good night. So do we think that Mrs. Maisel is her Sophie Lennon persona? I think so. That was like the Easter egg that they gave that, that justifies the title, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And that was the last line of the whole season. That was the, you know, the aha kind of moment. And I think Mrs. Maisel is her onstage persona. It may be kind of like, I don't know if it's like Robin Williams were like onstage and personal. We're like very, very close, <laughs> you know? Okay. Or if it's more like, uh, so Midge is the one who who saw her parents move the beds. Mrs. Maisel is the one who, when, when she was a girl going to Halloween, made sexual noises instead of regular boo boo kind of <laughs> kind of sounds for ghosts, right? Okay. See what I mean? That's how there's just a slight difference between Mrs. Maisel and Midge. Okay, okay. So Mrs. Maisel is more outrageous. Midge was like talking about the scraping of the bed together. That was the joke. Uh-huh. But when she was Mrs. Maisel and found that sort of lane, then she was like, when the other kids, you know, were scared of stuff and they'd make a ghost sound, they'd go like, boo. And when it was me, I'd go like, ah, ah. <laughs> like I don't even want to do that sound on the thing. I don't even, I like, <laughs> I could do it a lot better, but I don't want to do it on the air. Oh. <laughs> I won't do it. I will not do it. She makes a sexual sound. How about that? Okay. You mean like I said a second ago? Yeah, you do it. You do it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> now we're like, I'm not saying it. Now I'm scared. Yeah, no, that's not good. So yeah, for sure. I felt like, um, you're right. I felt like the her lane now is Mrs. Maisel, right? Mm-hmm. And so then no matter what happens with her in her actual life, it's kind of interesting because I feel like it kind of freed her. Like she can still use the Mrs. Maisel 
material, even if her and Joel don't get together, they're, they're divorced. She's actually Miriam Wiseman again, you know, mm-hmm. and goes off in her life. I don't know, but she is Mrs. Maisel. And maybe, maybe, let me ask you this. I just said that she could change her name and go back to Miriam Wiseman, but is the real punchline, she's always going to be Mrs. Maisel because this happened. Like she got married. She has these kids just like the penny pan situation, like what's the when is the um, statute of limitations on how when how long she is Mrs. Maisel? And the whole thing is, is she will always be Mrs. Maisel now. You're Mrs. Maisel. Oh my god. I'm Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> we are all Mrs. Maisel. Yes. We're like Wakanda. Right. <laughs> you are ridiculous. Well, I'm looking forward to them putting out the next season. I. I mean, this came around Thanksgiving, so I don't have any hope that it would come any sooner than that this year. But, I mean, that we are left with Rose and Abe, not in, on speaking terms. In a terms. bad place, right? Rose is, is actually very bad off. Abe is just kind of keeping it together. Oh, my God. He's like in a castle built out of books. Or I shouldn't even say a castle, a fort, a book fort. We have Joel, the father of the children, just walking off he literally staggered into the fog right and we have an alliance with lenny bruce but we don't know if it's going to pay dividends yet right and the lingering effects of the blackballing we don't know how that's going to go and where does this go like what do we what would we want to see if this went five seasons what I mean, like, does, do we have to have an obligatory started to go up, then some sort of crashing down again, and then back up again? Like, how do you tell a story of this comedian where it's it doesn't feel like contrived? Because right. she already went up and down during this first season. So how do we continue to move? I feel like the blackballing has to mean something in order for the universe to feel real. Okay. If it goes away in an episode, other big events like that that happen in episodes will take less seriously because... Well, and she cannot make amends with the Sophie Lennon thing. Like, she just can't. There's no way to fix that. But she can go on tour and... And just get out of the... Yeah. He said, you're you're dead in this state or, you know, the, the New York City area or however you want to call it. That doesn't mean she's dead in Los Angeles or Seattle or whatever the big cities were back then. So you think that's a thing, huh? You think that they'll travel? Even with like New York City being such the backdrop that they have been, or is this an opportunity to explore what other places look like during that time frame? What does small town USA look like? There's that. Um, I mean, it's it's not super practical because she got the kids, obviously, and nobody to, to watch them. Uh, at well, least she has the grandparents. She has the grandparents, but you know, she doesn't have a partner. Um, Even still, Joel wouldn't watch them. Are you kidding me? Neither here nor there. Joel Joel being there would make it so that she wasn't a comedian in the first place. That's very true. Very <laughs> true. I don't know. Okay, so but where where do we want where do we want the show to go? Or where do we see this show going? I could easily see it going like one more season easy, where like we have the rise now, because obviously we have to deal with all this aftermath of Joel and you know the fact that they're obviously not gonna get back together. I do not think that that's a possibility. Or maybe they will say it's even now. You cheated on her and she essentially cheated publicly if you will in many ways on you now do i think it's the same no i do not think it's the same do not be confused however 
you know, maybe there's some amount of like both sides have to forgive. So now somehow they're more even. I don't know. Where would you want to see this go? Could it go more than one more season? Story wise. I mean, even though the dialogue and the and the whole story is fantastic, but how far can they stretch it? Another another couple at least, I think. Okay. Intrigue. I mean, the kids aren't really a factor in the story. So as long as they don't start getting into the teenage years, you know, when, when oh, kids yeah, sure, are no. more of a issue uh i don't think they'll i don't think they'll be an issue i think that amy sherman paladino's wheelhouse is this is this time frame she's supposed to be 26 26 (laughs) so i think 26 to like 35 is like her wheelhouse maybe even a little younger 32 something like that because that's her lorelei prime Really, yeah, is really even though Lorelai was like 32 when the series started, um, Gilmore Girls, then but she really acted or or behaved much younger than Miriam does now, you know, and so it's like that, that sort of like I mean, I think it would be interesting for Miriam to find like culture and stuff outside of her, you know, 50s housewife persona. You know, being able to like show us what other you know, they kind of did by showing us like the gaslight and stuff like that, but being able to like continue to dive into America and, you know, what everything was going on and stuff. I think you could have a, I don't know, like a an adult version of like a Wonder Years-esque kind of like, like, you know, here's Lenny Bruce. Here's, here, here are cultural people through the time, you know? Right. It could be very interesting, I think. It would Chicago's be Chicago's always been very big in comedy. That's true. So. That's very true. What was it? Second City? Right. Um, yeah, so that could be, and plus they kind of dropped that little breadcrumb when she said, Chicago, when have you ever been there about Marshall Fields Yeah, and the fur coat? Mm, Maybe we do just need to get up and out of here. Intrigue, intrigue. Well, I am very, very, very much looking forward to season two. We have no idea. New. I would think it says the second season should premiere in late 2018. So about a year after the first one did. Yeah, which would kind of make sense. You know what? That's totally, that's totally Amy. Like she likes the fall. <laughs> like she's not going to shoot in, there's not going to be summertime seasons in my opinion. So I think that we will stick to September to December as our like prime time that we see her. That's funny. Like the summer section of the revival, if you think about like. Uh, that was Dan Palladino. Ah. That wasn't Amy. And, and. Like spring as well the, was also the way yeah. that they uh, portray how they enjoy the summer. I'm giving Caroline air quotes when I say <laughs> enjoy. They're sitting at the public, the crowded public pool. Luke is bitching about the thing that he they built. They have like sweaters on. They're making fun of the people going by. They, they're they portraying their enjoyment of summer as something they really don't enjoy. Right. I agree with you. So that, I think that's telling. For sure. And, and Amy wrote Fall and Winter. Uh, of Gilmore Girls of the revival so yeah I think wholeheartedly and plus just going by like wardrobe and stuff like that I mean there's so much to show in the fall and winter you know and there's so much going on we have you have all of the seasons uh, holidays and stuff you know there's so much stuff so much it's like fraught with family shenanigans in the fall and winter right Mm -hmm. hope to hear from you guys thanks thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse.
Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.